<laughs> Merry Christmas. It is so good to see all of you here tonight. My name is Nicholas. Some refer to me as Nicholas of Myra. Others call me Saint Nicholas. And those that are really close to me call me jolly old Saint Nick. Just happen to be a rather happy guy. Hey, uh, I was invited here by that incredibly loving and caring pastor of yours to uh, try and um, dispel some, some rumors, some misconceptions about who I am. And so hopefully we can achieve that by the end of the night. Now, I want you to know that I was born in a little town called Patera, Patera. And, and I understand that you all love maps. Is that correct? And so I happen to have a map. There is Patera. You'll see it. It's on the southern coast of Turkey. And uh, I was born there. It's a beautiful place. You should come and, and visit whenever you get a chance. I was born in the year 270, 270, just a couple hundred years after Jesus walked on the earth. And I was born to two great parents. They, they loved Jesus. They followed Jesus. But sadly, when I was just a, a young boy, they died from a pandemic. My uncle raised me, and he was a godly man as well. He was the bishop of our hometown and that region around it. Now, when I came of age, I received a great inheritance. I became instantly wealthy. And I felt the temptation, like most do, to go and to spend the money enjoying the pleasures of the world. But fortunately, I remembered something that Jesus had said. He, he, he talked about an encounter that he once had with a rich, young ruler. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all wrote this story down. Are you familiar with this? If you're not, let me tell you the story of Jesus' encounter with this man, this rich, young ruler. Well, Jesus was getting ready to go out on a, a journey of his own, and, and this Rich young man came and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God himself. And you know, I think Jesus was testing him. He was testing to see if he really knew who Jesus was. Because Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. He was, in fact, a good, good teacher. Well, Jesus looked at him. Good Jewish man would know all the commandments. He said, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your father and your mother. And that young man, he sort of lit up. He said, teacher, I've kept all of those since I was a young boy. And then Jesus looked at him full of love, full of compassion, he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and, and sell everything. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Come. Come and follow me. Well, that, that young man's face became downcast. He got up and he walked away because he had great wealth. Jesus looked to his disciples. He said, how difficult it will be 
for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. <coughs> Jesus' heart broke for that rich young man, just like his heart breaks for, for many of us who follow the rich young ruler's suit. We may not be quite as wealthy as he is, but often we live the same way. We, we, we desire the things of this world, the treasures, the pleasures of this world more than we desire God himself. We settle for the things that are temporary, and we give up that which is eternal, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I knew I didn't want to become like that rich young ruler. And so even though I was faced with all this wealth, I determined right then and right there that I was going to use the gifts, the, the, the talents, the treasures that God had entrusted to me, and I was going to use it to serve him and to serve others. I got really involved in our church. I learned the scriptures. I studied the scriptures. I applied the scriptures to my life. Eventually, I became a priest and then a bishop. A bishop's role is to help start churches in their area. I became the bishop of Myra, which is just a little east of my hometown, um, my role was also to oversee and instruct the existing churches. And one of the things, one of the benefits that came from it, I got this really cool hat. <laughs> These long flowing red and white robes that just beautifully accent this premature gray in my beard. And so I was blessed, I was honored to become a bishop in God's church. Well, we lived in a time really at the end of the third century and the beginning of the fourth, where the Roman Empire pretty much ruled the world. And, and there was um, an emperor. His, his name was Diocletian. He was the emperor. That his name was Diocletian. And, and he reigned from 284 to 305. And he, he did some really great things for the Roman Empire. He brought stability and order to it. But he hated Christians. He hated Christians. He persecuted them. And he even threw them in prison. It was said that there were more deacons, priests, and bishops in prison. Hundreds and thousands of them. So many that there wasn't room for the thieves and the murderers. That's how bad it was. I suffered. I suffered and was imprisoned and tortured as well. One of the things that you have to know, that was true then and is true now, whether you're a bishop, a priest, or just a follower of Jesus, you need to be willing to stand up for the truth, to take a stand for the truth. And that stand will not always be popular, and it will more than likely cost you something. It may cost you family. It may cost you friends, and it may cost you your freedom, and that's what it cost me. I ended up spending five years in prison being tortured. They said it would stop if only I would renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't do it. While others did, I would not do it. You know, fortunately, the reign of Diocletian came to an end, and a new man took the throne. His name was Constantine. Constantine. Now, Constantine 
um, really valued his mother and and her opinion. She happened to be a Christian. And so Constantine released from the prisons all the Christ followers. He released us. We were all free to go. Now, um, times had, had surely changed in the Roman Empire. Not only did he do that, but he made Christianity the national religion. Can you imagine that? Where you went from being imprisoned for your faith to being celebrated because of your faith. Now, everything was not paradise in the Roman Empire at that time. Remember, the church was still young. There were a lot of things that were being taught that weren't exactly right or true. And somebody needed to take a stand for that. There was um, confusion over who Jesus was. You see, this is the most important question that you'll ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And most of the leaders like myself, we said Jesus is God. That he has um, existed eternally. No beginning, no end. But that as he was fully God, he also became fully human and came to earth as a baby because we needed a perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And Jesus was that sacrifice. He was fully God, yet fully man. Well, there were others out there that were teaching something completely different. They were teaching that Jesus was not fully God, that he was a created being. And one of the the leaders of this movement was a priest by the name of Arius. Arius. And it led to a great controversy. And so under Emperor Constantine, he called a council together of hundreds of bishops and priests, and they came to this town of Nicaea. Nicaea. And so I was there. I was among them. And we began to debate over this issue of whether Jesus was fully God or not. Now, I got to tell you, it, it got a little heated in there. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't completely jolly in the moment. And, and I, I was so passionate for the truth and so irritated with Arius. You know what I did? It, I'm, I'm telling you, it was not one of my finer moments. But I got up, I walked across the room, stood in front of Arius, <laughs> slapped him right across the face. Don't laugh, it's not a good thing. Because I ended up paying for that. They immediately came. They stripped my hat. They stripped my robes, and they threw me in the jail. And as I sat in that dark, dank cell throughout the night, I was overcome with remorse. I knew that I let my emotions get the best of me, that I never should have done such a thing. And and I repented. I asked God to forgive me. I turned from that. And fortunately, when the next day came, God showed me mercy. And so did Emperor Constantine. And they restored me. They restored me to my role as Bishop of Mira. Now, while I was incarcerated, the other leaders continued to work through this controversy. And they resolved it. And they came up with a statement of faith that we know today as the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed. And people, even today, are reciting that creed because it sums up 
the truths about God. It was so freeing. I got to go back home and and focus on sharing this good news of Jesus Christ with anybody that would listen. I didn't just tell them about the love of Jesus. I did my best to show them the love of Jesus. And you remember how I told you how impacted I was by that story of Jesus and the rich young ruler? Well, I was determined to use my time, my talents, and that treasure that God had entrusted to me to serve God and to serve others in need. Now, I loved helping people, but I didn't want the attention. I didn't want the praise. I didn't want the glory. Again, I didn't earn that money. It was given to me. It was entrusted to me by God himself. And so I tried to help people, but I did it secretly, secretly, so that when they were rewarded, when they were blessed, they would give praise to God, that God would receive the glory. And I was really effective for quite a while until I got caught. Now, in our hometown, there was a poor man, and he had three daughters. And uh, back in that day and time, if, if you were going to marry off your daughter, you had to have money. You had to have what is called a dowry, a dowry. And so you had to take this, this money and give it to the groom's family in order for him to marry your daughter. Well, this poor man didn't have the money for a dowry. And so I had heard this terrible story, and I was so sad for him because it, it, it was going to be really dire for those three girls. So here's what I did. I went to the man's house one night, and, and when I got there, I saw that one of the windows was open, and inside was a fireplace much like that, and guess what was hanging over the fireplace? Their stockings. Because back in those days, they used to hang their stockings above the fireplace for them to dry at night. And so I had this wonderful idea. And I had brought this sack of gold coins. And they were worth a lot of money. And so I took the sack. Whoops. And I dropped some of the coins, but then I was quick to pick them up <laughs> because I'm really gifted like that. Very flexible and agile. And, the, uh, and so I took the little sack of gold coins. And remember, the window's open, and I could see the socks. And I, I mean, I don't like to brag, but I was quite an athlete. And, and I reared back. And I threw that sack of coins, and guess what happened? Swish. Right into one of the socks. I immediately ran off, because I didn't want anybody to see me, right? And the next morning, the man got up, and so did his three daughters, and they were taking their socks down. And guess what they found inside of one of them? Sack of gold coins, just like this. And they were so excited. They began to praise God and give him the glory. I mean, the oldest daughter was now going to be able to afford to be married. And all was well. But remember, there were two more daughters. That worked so well, I decided I'm going to go back another night. And I did. And I found the window open and the stockings hanging over the fireplace. Pulled out my gold coins. 
Guess what happened? Swish again. <laughs> right in. Next morning, they wake up. They come out. They start taking down the stockings, and they find another pile of gold. And they're rejoicing and giving thanks and praise to God. The second daughter can now get married. This is working so good, I'm thinking, one more to go. I make my way there on another night. Same scenario, windows open, stockings hanging by the fire, rear back. <sighs> Swish. Three for three. <laughs> Only this time, the dad saw me. And I took off running. But he was so elated. He was so overcome with joy and thanksgiving that you know what he did the next day? He went around town telling everybody what I had done. And everywhere I went, then people were giving me praise and they were giving me the glory. And that was never the desire of my heart. I wanted to do it in secret because I wanted God to receive the praise, the glory, and the honor. After all, isn't he the one that gives all of us time, talents, and treasures? He's the one that deserves the praise and the glory. Not me. Not you. I never meant for Christmas to become about me. And sadly, for many, that's what it's become. You know, and over the centuries, there's been many different traditions that have begun and misconceptions about who I was and what I did. But here's what I want you to think about. First, when you look at stockings hanging over a fireplace, I, I want you to ask yourself, are you more excited about what you're going to give or what you're going to get? Are you more excited about what you're going to give or what you're going to get? Think about that, the stockings and what they represent. And I also want you to think about Jesus' encounter with that rich, young ruler. What is it that you treasure most? What is it that you treasure most? Is it the, the temporary love and peace and joy that you may or may not experience as you indulge in the pleasures of this world, the treasures of this world? Or do you really desire, do you ultimately treasure that relationship with Jesus that offers you eternal everlasting love, joy, and peace? What is it in this life that you treasure most? For many, it's the things of the world. But my plea and my hope for you tonight is that your greatest treasure will be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that will last forever. Don't let another Christmas pass you by without you embracing the incredible gift of Jesus Christ. Don't be like that rich young ruler who initially bent 
his knee at the feet of Jesus. And then when he understood the cost, he got up and walked away. May you forever worship at the feet of Jesus. May you dedicate your time, your talent, and your treasure to him. And may he receive the praise, the glory, and the honor. Now, I'd like to ask God's blessing over you before I go. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God's face shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you this day and forevermore. Amen and Merry Christmas.